Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Amen. Well, can you tell that it smells a little better in the auditorium this at this time than it did this time last Sunday because everybody's got their shoes still on. Amen. I'm glad that I'm glad that I can preach with my shoes on this week because my feet would be a little bit cold today. Weather's a little different. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you missed a great time in the Lord last week. The Lord just he moved in this place during worship. The Lord just moved in. I mean, it was just amazing. And His presence just overwhelmed us. And, uh, you know, I, I explain it like this. When someone puts their finger in a light socket, you're going to do something, right? You may not act like me. You may not run around like me. You may fall over. But you're going to do something. And that's kind of what happened. The Lord stuck a light socket in the room last week and we kind of put our fingers in it and we responded amen and i'm so grateful for the presence of god i'm so grateful for that i'm grateful that the holy spirit is is welcome in this place he's welcome in this church i remind you of that the holy spirit's welcome in this church we want him to move because we've all honestly been to church enough we've heard enough sermons and we've sang enough songs what we need is a move of the holy ghost that's what we need that's what we need that's what america needs america doesn't need another church service america doesn't need another sermon america needs a move of the holy spirit praise god that's what we need friends we need that desperately in these days of evil and chaos we need a move of the holy spirit And the Lord will move if His people will humble themselves and pray. The Lord will. We have to trust Him. And we have to ask Him. Because He's not going to be welcome where He's not wanted. And we want Him and we ask Him to come. Amen? So I've decided to preach on out of 1 Peter chapter 1. And I'm going to be sharing with you a, a message series. And I forgot to tell you, Juanita, that the the series slide is on the Google Drive. But there's a message series I'm going to be opening up to you over the next few weeks. I don't know how long I'm going to stretch it out, but the Lord just kind of laid... I've been been looking in 1 Peter for for quite some time. And I'm I'm, I'm going to preach a series called Not of This World. Not of This World. Um, The word strange... And I'm going to get to the scriptures in just a second. The word strange is defined in the dictionary as this. Unusual or hard to understand. It's something not previously seen or encountered that is unfamiliar or alien. There are some strange things that happen in this world, aren't there? Yeah. There are some strange people that live in this world. Just look down the row from you. Come on. If you look down the row and they don't look strange, then guess what they're saying about you? Because there's one on every row. Here's the thing. 
if you know Jesus from the world's perspective, you are a little strange. (laughs) You're strange. Aaron, you're a little strange, buddy. Charlie, you're a little strange. People see it, and the world knows it. Guess what? And I'm proud of it. Now, I didn't say weird, okay? There's a difference. There's strange, and then there's weird. Yeah, and Bridget's confessed. She's both. She puts it all together. And amen up here on the platform. We are not of this world, and you're going to see that, and that's exactly what Peter wants to emphasize to to those whom he wrote to in the first century. He wrote... We're not exactly sure when he wrote, but it was somewhere between 60 and 65 A.D., just before Nero steps onto the scene. Now, I'm not going to give you a history lesson this morning as I get into the message, but I want you to know those were some difficult times, especially for the strange folks, the Christians. It was terrible times. Matter of fact, Nero did some incredibly terrible things to those people because they were strange, they were different. He would dip them in wax and then he would hang them in trees and light them on fire as candles for the night. A Christian. He would crucify them, cut their heads off. He'd wrap them in animal skins and put them in a cage and then turn wild dogs loose on them. They'd be eaten by animals. It was a terrible... You think some of the things that we see today are are atrocious. Those were atrocious times for those people who were not of this world, who were strange. So let's look at what Peter says to those folks as they approach that time. What does Peter say to us? Because the Word of God has not changed. It's the same. And I can say this, that 1 Peter, that the letters, the epistles that Peter wrote are probably as, as important to us today as they have ever been in any generation. They're important for you because we live in a world that considers you strange and getting stranger by the moment. If you think the world is strange, that's a good thing because it thinks you're strange. So let's read it. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Look at this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect strangers in the world. There we go. Strangers in the world. You can underline that if you want. To God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this grace you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So though you have not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Father, bless Your Word this morning. Let it be transformative to us. Let it challenge us and help us Lord, through the work of the Holy Spirit to become more like you because of your word. I praise you and I thank you, Lord, for this service today. I thank you for every person who is here and those who are watching online. I pray that, Lord, that they would hear your word and they would respond accordingly. We give you you this day in this service. I give you this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Peter begins his message and his letter to all of these believers by identifying them as strangers. He calls them strangers. What does that mean? He means they are strange. They are not of this world. Friends, once again, let me just tell you, you are not of this world. The Greek word there is peripetimos, which means an exile or an alien or a sojourner or a foreigner. The best really description that we could say is a resident alien. You live here, but you're not from here. That's who you are. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a foreigner. You are a stranger in the world. You're just a traveler. You're a sojourner. You're just a guy or a lady who is just passing through because this world is not your home. Can I get an amen on that one? This world is not your home. What does Paul say in Philippians chapter 3? He says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. I may be a citizen of the United States. I may be a citizen in the state of Texas. I may live in the city of Denton, but this place is not my true home because my real citizenship lies in heaven, in a place that has no court system that fails, in a place where there is complete justice, in a place where everyone, everything matters to God because I am a citizen of another place. And you, if you know Jesus, you're a citizen of another place. So what does that mean? That means we can't become very comfortable here. We shouldn't become comfortable in this life and in this world and and what we have because we should be looking for something that's better. How many of you want something better in your life? I want what's better for my life. I want what's better for my family. And let me just tell you, the the truth is this. The best thing that's ever going to happen to you is when you redeem that citizenship on the other side. You see, the best part about what's going on in our life and the best part about your life is not what's been behind you, but it's what's in front of you. It's what's in front of you. People want to go back to the pre-pandemic. 
that's fine. I'd like things to go back a little bit more normal. But let me tell you something. The best days are in front of us, Christian friend. It's not what we were and what we used to be or where America was. The best days are for the citizens of God's kingdom are in front of us. That's what I'm looking for. Many of you know that Shannon and I did a lot of ministry overseas. Living overseas is a unique thing because it teaches you something. Whenever you would board that plane and we would board the plane, there would, there would be this uneasiness that would just come upon me. I would begin to feel this, this sense of, of longing because I knew that I was about to be far from home, far from anything that would be normal, far from anything that was, that was familiar with me. I was about to be a foreigner in another country. And that uneasiness, it was unsettling, and, and, it, and I can't even hardly explain that, that true feeling. It was just this, un, this, this lack of calm because I knew that things wouldn't be comfortable. They wouldn't be easy. They wouldn't be familiar. People would talk different. The language would be different. They would act different. They would live differently. And it's the same way with believers. It's the same thing with you and I. If you know Jesus, there should be this uneasiness in your spirit. You say, well, pastor, I thought we we're supposed to have the peace of God. The peace of God passes our understanding, but our understanding tells us we're not at home and we're, not, we're a little uneasy. And you recognize that. When you see the, the world going on, the, the world around you, when you pick up the newspaper or you read the headline on on your iPad, or you watch the evening news, there should be an uneasiness in your spirit that says, you know, things may not be right here, but this is not where you reside anyway. This is not your permanent place. And so we're longing for something beyond what, what we see in the news or, or what we read about. We're like Abraham, the Bible says. Abraham left his home, and the Scripture says that he sought after, he was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. The greatest, the greatest pursuit in your life, my friends, is not to see how big you can make your career, or how famous you can become, or how much money you can stick into your bank account. The greatest pursuit of our life should be to pursue that city that one day we will walk into, that we will enter through the gates, and we will see our Savior Jesus Christ welcoming us into our home that is there for eternity. That's our greatest pursuit. We're looking for that place that God has prepared for us. That's why you are strange. Look at your neighbor and say, you are strange. We're not strangers because our life is so brief. We're not strangers because one of these days you'll be gone and somebody's going to live in your house. Somebody's going to sit in your chair. We're not strangers because we know the brevity of life. We're strangers because we know that our true home is wherever God is. That's where our home is. We are strangers. We are not of this world. We belong to another place. And you say, well, pastor, how is that good news? I mean, my goodness. You mean I've got to live my entire life 
with this uneasiness, with this nagging feeling that I don't belong here. How is that going to make my life better? How is that going to improve anything? Why should I rejoice? Look at verse 6. He says, because of this you should rejoice. Why should I rejoice? I'm just always going to be uneasy. Well, as Peter wrote to these Christians scattered all across the Mediterranean, he said, look, there's some things that I want you to realize. He said, first, I want you to realize that we have been chosen by God previously. If you're taking notes, that's your first blank. We've been chosen by God previously. You've been chosen. He said, you are God's elect strangers. You see, if you look in that scripture, if you'll, if you'll go back to that verse, Juanita, in verse chapter, in verse, verse 1 of 1 Peter, the NIV version puts a comma where a comma should not be. Because in the Greek language, the word elect or eklektos is actually an adjective. It is a modifier of strangers, of parapetamos. So the, the Greek reads electos parapetamos, which means you are an elect stranger. Now, why does that matter? Why did I give you a five-second Greek lesson? It's because being chosen is a big deal. Being elect and chosen is a big deal. How many of you remember in grade school or junior high or whenever it was, when everybody would meet on the field or on the court and they would choose captains and the captains would do what? They'd pick their teams. How many of you remember standing in the group of, of guys or girls and you're just kind of standing there? Hoping. Hoping. You know, and every time the captain would be his turn, you'd kind of scoot in front of him. You know, you know, what did he do? He'd choose, if you were playing football, who's he choosing? I'm choosing the fastest guys. I'm choosing the strongest guys first. I'm choosing the biggest guys. If you're playing basketball, you're choosing the guys that can shoot. You're choosing the tallest guy. You see, it's a big deal to be chosen. And this was a monumental thing for Peter. He says, you are God's elect. You are the electos para Peter. You're an elect stranger. It's a big deal to be chosen. Once you look at Peter's life, how monumental that was in his life. I mean, he's out fishing one day, casting nets. That was his life. I'm a fisherman. That's what I do. On Mondays, I get up, I go to work. I fish all day. And it's not leisurely fishing. It's not sitting there waiting for... I'm fishing to feed my family. I, it is an important job. I have to do this. It's not because I just love to. Because there's days sometimes when I know that you go to work and you're thinking, you know what, I just don't love to do what I'm doing. But I do it because it's a job. Not a lot of amens, but I know you're amening in your heart. Being chosen was a big deal because one day as Peter's out fishing, as he's doing his normal thing through the world, all are in the, in, in the, on his job, all of a sudden this man that he had heard from before through the voice of John the Baptist and his brother Andrew, 
all of a sudden walks up to him and he says, Hey, follow me. I choose you. I choose you. Follow me. Jesus chose Peter and invited him to follow. And guess what? Peter chose to follow. There's a lot of choosing going on when you're a stranger in the world. Like when you go to a hotel and you show up at the hotel that you have reserved and made reservations for and you walk in and the hostess says this, well, Mr. Metter, come on in. We've been expecting you. That's what happened to me just about a week ago when Shannon and I went to go see Seth. Come in. Yes, we've been expecting you. We saw your reservation. Choosing was a big deal. And guess what? Because we chose to stay at that hotel, they chose to make everything ready. They chose to have a room for us. They chose to have that breakfast that was phenomenal for us. You see, in the New Testament, believers are called God's elect over and over. What does that mean? It means that you have been chosen. You've been chosen. And because we think of elect and God chose, it always brings up a debate in the church. It's a debate that's been going on for thousands of years. It's a debate that asks this simple question. Did he choose us or did we choose him? Did God choose me or did I actually get to choose him? And here's the answer to that question. Yes. The answer is yes. You chose God in harmony with his choice with you. I know some of you are like, wait a second. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5 says this. It says, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. There was some choosing going on. God chose you before the world was even formed, before you were ever born, before you were ever conceived or thought of. God chose you. And as one preacher said, I'm glad that God picked me before I was born because he'd have never picked me afterwards. God chose you. How is that encouraging for a stranger? Woo, that's good stuff. If you're a little strange, guess what? You're standing in the crowd and God looks and he says, oh, hey, I'll take you. Me? Real, me? I'm not that tall. I'm not that fast. I'm not that strong. I choose you. I choose you. Follow me. That's encouraging. If you know Jesus today, let me just give you this. If you don't leave with anything else, if you know Jesus today, guess what? He chose you. He knows your name. He knows everything about He chose you. You are chosen. You are picked. You got picked. That's exciting. So then some would say, well, pastor, why, if God chooses us, then why do you even give us a call for salvation if God's going to do all the choosing? When people respond to the message, to the gospel message, they respond to grace, what happens is they begin, their faith begins to cooperate with God's election. Now, I know that I don't have time to flesh all of that theological understanding out, but that's what happens. You cooperate with God's election, with God's choice. Let me just illustrate it with this story say there's a guy that's drowning and he's out in the water and he's drowning and he's gonna he's gonna 
go down for the last time. Blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden, someone throws him a rope. Someone throws him a rope. Well, guess what this drowning guy has to do? He has to choose to grab hold of the rope. But guess what? Just grabbing hold of the rope is not going to save him. You have to have somebody first who threw him the rope, and then you have to have somebody to pull on the other end of the rope to bring him in. That is what I'm talking about. Your choice is cooperating with God's election. God saw you drowning. He wanted to save you. He threw you a rope. He threw you the gospel. He gave Jesus so that he could save you. And now all you need to do is respond and grab hold of that rope and God does the rest. He'll pull you all the way to heaven. So keep holding on, my friend, to the rope. You are chosen by God. He saw your need and he met your need with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He met your need with the cross that abolished the curse of sin over you. God met us where we needed to be met because we couldn't choose him first. He chose us. You see, God always initiates everything. Initiation is always done. It's called provenient grace. God initiates everything. 1 John 4, 19, the scripture says, We love because He first loved us. You didn't wake up one morning and say, Man, I choose Jesus. No. He began to impress upon you His grace and His love. You begin to feel His compassion. The Holy Spirit was drawing you the whole time convicting you of your sin, illustrating to you that you were not what God designed you for, showing you that you needed to change. And that, right, my friend, because he loved you enough to do all that and to come to you, that's why we started loving him. Because, my God, who would love me in my condition? Who would love me in my shape? Who would love me for all the failures and the pains and the scars and the things that I've done in my life but Jesus? We rejoice because we realize that we've been picked to be on His team. How many many in this room are on the team Jesus this morning? Amen. I've been chosen. He saw value in us. Another thing that helps strangers is this, is that we are known by God completely. That helps me to rejoice. You say, oh, not me, Pastor. Scripture says, according to the foreknowledge of God. That means God knows everything about your life. Can I just tell you something? You don't really have any secrets. You don't. You think you do, but you don't. You think no one knows, but that's not true. Because Peter says that according to the foreknowledge of God, we were chosen. God knows everything about your life. Guess what? He even knows the days about your life that you have not even seen. That's encouraging to me to know that God's already been in my tomorrows. God's been in your tomorrow. He's already been to Monday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Tuesday. He's been there. He's been next year already for you. 
He's already been next month. He's already been down the road five years, ten years. God's been there. His, he, he knows everything. In his foreknowledge, God knows everything. Here's the comfort, is that he knows the worst about us and loves us anyway. He knows how you're going to react. He knows what you're going to do, what you're going to think. And he loves you anyway. That's the comfort to know. That's, that's what I rejoice in. God, you still love me. And you know that I might fall tomorrow. But you love me. You see, Psalm 103, verse 14 says that he remembers that we are just dust. God knows exactly what we are. We're just dust. Not only does he know the worst about us and loves us anyway, but he knows the best about us and he sees our motives and intentions. He knows the best about you. He knows your, mo- he knows your intentions. Listen to what 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says. Whenever our heart condemns us, means we feel, we feel, this, we feel this condemnation, we feel this guilt come upon us what does the scripture say for god is greater than our hearts and he knows everything he knows when you're trying to follow him and when you're not that's comforting it's comforting it's comforting to know that that when you intend to do everything that you can to serve the lord and things just don't work out the way you thought or you slip up or you make a mistake he knows and god understands and he brings you along and he encourages you up in the lord because god knows all about you that's encouraging it's encouraging to know that we are growing constantly that's the third blank there we are growing constantly that's god's desire because he says through the sanctifying work of the holy spirit and in obedience it says by obedience or for obedience which could be translated because of obedience in christ because of the sprinkling of the blood god intends for us to continually grow sanctification is a big word that you hear about in church it's a it's a churchy word. It's a theological word. I doubt any of you have said the word sanctification this week. Anybody? Have you used sanctification in a conversation? Sanctification simply means this. It means to be set apart. It means to be marked as different. It means to be, get this, it means to be uncommon strange that's what it means to be sanctified you see when god finds us he loves us the way we are but he loves us too much to leave us the way we are can somebody say amen god wants us to live a holy life an uncommon life a strange life in this world and it's not a suggestion as some may may think It's not a suggestion to be sanctified. It's not a suggestion to live a holy life as some even from a pulpit would preach. Hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 says, Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. You can say all that you want. You can confess all you want and and quote as much scripture as you want. But without holiness, you will not see heaven. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 3 says, It is God's will. Not God's hope or God's wish or God's prayer. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should be uncommon, that you should be set apart, that you should be strange in this world. You're different. 
That's God's plan for you. Here's what happens. Because of that obedience, the blood, the sprinkling of the blood changes your life. Thank God for the blood of Jesus that transformed us. And as you are transformed, you are called to obedience in Christ. You're called to follow His Word, what Jesus said, what He taught, how He lived. That's your example. You don't just get sprinkled by the blood and patted on the back and say, hey, go back and do exactly what, you, what you've just been doing. That's not even true. We're obedient. We are sprinkled by the blood. So what happens is the blood of Jesus changes our life, and then the Holy Spirit comes in and rearranges our life. Some of you could use a good dose of rearrangement in your life, friends. You need to grow up in your salvation. If you're still at the same level you were when you first met Jesus, my friend, you are starving to death. You've got a serious condition of immaturity, and you need to cure that with a good dose of the Holy Spirit and His sanctifying work, rearranging your life so that your priorities get in order, so that your mouth gets in order, so that your attitudes get in order, so that your desires get in order, behaviors get in order. You become sanctified and holy unto the Lord. Faith is the root of holiness, but obedience is the fruit. That's pretty good. I didn't even get an amen. I thought that was real good. Faith is the root of holiness. Your belief, your faith is the root of holiness. It's where it grows from. But obedience is the fruit of holiness. Obedience is what you respond with, how you live, how you act. That's, that's, that's encouraging. And finally, it's encouraging to know that we are promised hope eternally. Now, I like this one because in verse 3, the Scripture says, Peter, Peter explains this to these strangers, and he says, look, you have, been given us, you, you have given us a new birth into a living hope, into an inheritance. Living hope and inheritance. See, the reality of the Scripture tells us this, that as Christians, we have hope, but those who don't know Christ, have no hope. You say, Pastor, I'd argue with that. I know people who don't know Jesus, but they've got hope. Yes, my friends, they may have hope in things that will not give them inheritance. You see, they're living a life without purpose, a life without meaning, a life without future, whether they know it or not, whether they believe it or not. Their life is being lived with no purpose, understanding, or future. The real understanding in the life of Peter, this fisherman, was when Jesus walked into his life and said, Son, follow me. And at that day, at that moment, on that fishing trip, Peter found meaning in his life. In his ordinary, boring Monday through Friday job that had gotten so, so just, he didn't like it. He found meaning in every time he threw that net because he realized something had changed. Jesus said, you're not going to be a fisher of fish. You're going to be a fisher of men. And all of a sudden, Peter found purpose. I know why I'm here. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know why God created me. I have reason to hope. Life is more. It got big. It got big. You're not just here to make a living 
and to raise a family and to go on vacation. That's not the reason why you're here, friends. You're here so that the hope that God has placed in you, you can spread that hope around and that you can tell about the inheritance that is coming because that's what Jesus did. He went to the cross and he died and he bequeathed heaven to us. Only the owner can say, hey, take what you want. It's yours. That's exactly what Jesus did. He gave us something, my friends, that you can't work for on this earth, that you can't spend time on, that you can't create, that you can't craft up. He is giving us something, an inheritance that the Scripture says will never perish, will never spoil, will never fade. It's not going to go out of style. It's not going to be something that people say, well, I don't need that anymore. You're not going to sell it in a garage sale. You're going to get an inheritance one of these days, friends, that will never change. The value is always going to be the same today and forever. You want to talk about eternity? Think about that old clunker truck you drive. That thing's got more miles on it. Ain't no way it should even keep on going, but it sure does. The Lord's gracious to you. One of these days, my friend, it's going to lay down on you. It's going to give up the ghost. And guess what? It's going to go to that great junkyard in the sky and when those cars pass away and when that house goes away and you have to change the color of your living room because it's outdated and your curtains are changed my wife's looking at me because she just changed the curtains when you have to do all that let me tell you something there's an inheritance coming that will never change it's never going to be out of date. That's the hope we have. All the earthly things that we know of will be dissolved one day. Because earth is, heaven is our destination. And it's more than that. Heaven, you see, is not just our destination. It's our motivation. What gets me up every morning when I'm bored with life and the the day in and day out routine is just wears on me. Anybody been there recently? Come on, let me be, let's be honest. Take your halo off and just be honest. The daily grind is just wearing you down. It's just, you know what should wake you up every morning? It's the motivation to know that I'm not doing all this work for this life. I'm not doing all this for this world because I am a citizen of another place. I am a stranger in a strange land. I'm just passing through all this stuff. I'm just living this life because it's what I have to do. But one of these days, I'm going to see my real home. I'm going to see the efforts that I've really been working for. That's my motivation, not just my destination. Heaven is my motivation. It gets me up in the morning because I'm one more day closer to seeing home. Hallelujah. If you're a young person, you don't get that yet because you still think that you got life eternal on this planet. But let me tell you something. It does not last. And the older you get, the faster it goes by and the more motivated you get because you know for sure when you wake up and you hear the creaks in your back and the pops in your knees, you know this world cannot be my home. Amen. So let me break it down for you. As a stranger in this world, 
You are a person that God has had his eye on before you were ever born. He chose a plan and a purpose for your life before you ever took a breath. He determined in you to have you on his team all the while knowing everything about you, the good and all the bad. All the good, all the bad. And guess what? He didn't intend to leave you as an average individual. He has a plan to grow you, to make you, to shape you, to mold you into something that you never thought that you could ever be. But someday you will realize this. You don't have to question it because God has already planned the celebration for you. The place has already been reserved for you. The big party is already, the plans have already been made and one day you will be there celebrating all that He has done for you just as His Word says. You can be a stranger and celebrate. But in this life, we still have a few trials, don't we? Let me wrap up by just talking about that. I've got a few minutes. So stay focused. Stay with me. You see, in this life, we are strangers, but we have trying times. If you're in the middle of a hard time right now and you're a follower of Jesus, you just say to yourself right now, I want you to say this. If you're in a trying time, if you're having a hard time right now, you're going through something in your life, I want you to tell this to yourself right now. My faith is being tested. Just say it to yourself right now. Just say, my faith is being tested. My faith is being tested. Because look at verse 6, and I'm going to close with this. In verse 6 it says, In this you greatly rejoice in all of these things, though now for a little while you have, to have, you have had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. We're strangers. We are not of this world. But guess what? We have to walk through this world for now. And in this life we will have struggles, as Jesus said in John chapter 16, verse 33. But he said in verse 7, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. Gold is one of the, it's going to even vanish. These have come so that your faith may be proved, look at that word, genuine. You know, if there's genuine faith, then it must be false faith, right? I mean, the converse must be true. And I believe one of the biggest challenges in churches today is, that, is the problem of false faith. Let me just give you three ideas of false faith real quick. Here's what false faith looks like. First of all, false faith, faith that is false is inherited faith. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, it means like this. You're a kid and you say, well, my dad was a Methodist, my mom was a Baptist, and I was baptized as a baby as a Catholic. So I must be a Christian. I must have faith in God. I mean, I was raised in that house. I was raised in those, under those, those sets of rules. Recently, I was just talking to a 19-year-old college student at UNT, and that was exactly his story. He said, I was raised in a Christian home. I grew up with all the do's and don'ts. I went to church every week because I was told to go to church. I, I, I was there. Even though I grew, got up older, he said, I was at church. It was just something that I did. And he said, now, he said, I just wonder. I'm not sure if I believe it all. Guess what? He's had false faith. It was inherited faith. 
He never discovered his own faith. He was just living off of mom and dad. He was living off of grandma's faith. He was just guilty by association, thinking that their faith could get him into into heaven, that their faith made him a, a citizen of heaven. But truthfully, that is a false faith, and it's prevalent in our culture today. It's all over the world. We've got a generation of kids who go to church. We've got a generation of kids who don't go to church now, but used to go to church. We've got a generation of kids who were told by grandma the truth, but guess what? They don't have the true faith. It's inherited. They can tell you the stories of the Bible, some, but they don't know the faith of the Bible. They don't know faith in God. There's another false faith. It's called shallow faith. Shallow faith, you can see it in Jesus' parable of the sower when he talks about that the seeds of faith were scattered upon the road. They were scattered upon a hard soil. They were scattered along weeds. And what happens? They take root. But then Jesus says the worries of life and deceitfulness of wealth and desires of, of worldly things, they begin to choke that, that shallow faith out because it got laid there, but it didn't go anywhere. It just kind of sat there. And if it did grow roots, the roots were so shallow that when the sun came out and things got hot, when the trials came, it just burnt that, burnt that faith all up. I usually don't tell people that I'm a pastor when I'm out in public. And the reason why is because of two things. Number one, either I'll get ignored in any conversation, or number two, I become the confessional. And that happened recently. I was, I was talking to a young man, and... He began to, he found out that I was a pastor and he began to tell me, he's like, hey, I was raised in a Christian home. Da, 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 da. I went to Sunday school. He said, you know, I, I know, you know, at one point, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus. But he said, you know, I'm just, I, I got busy with school and student loans and car payments. And, you know, I started doing a whole lot of partying, you know, and smoking a lot of weed. And I was like, hey, whoa, hey, easy, you know. I became the confessional. I was like the catch-all of everything. He began to tell me. He was just telling me the whole, his whole story of his life. And the only thing that I can say is this, is that he had shallow faith. Because when life started really getting busy and complex, when life gets to where you've got a family and you're raising kids and you're trying to manage a business or you're trying to hold things together or if you've got student loans and you've got this, this test this and this test next week and you've got all these things going on guess what can happen to your faith it can squeeze get squeezed to nothing you have to be careful christian friend that your faith does your roots don't dry up when the pressure gets on there's another type of faith it's called conditional faith this is the kind of faith that says i will believe as long as things go my way I'm good with God as long as God's good with me or good to me. There's a guy that I work out with a gym. He told me, he said, you know, he said, I'm, a, I'm, you know, I'm trying to be a Christian. I said, well, what do you mean by that? He said, well, I'm trying to, you know, figure it out. He said, my wife left me. I'm struggling financially. He said, how can a God like that allows like that, how can I believe in a God like that? What is he saying? He's saying, my faith is conditional on how well my life is going. That's what he's saying. It's conditional faith. It's a false faith. Whether it's conditional or inherited, whether it's shallow, it's a false faith. Faith is what is the type of faith that when trials come, they test your faith to see if it is genuine or see if it was false. So how does God know? 
what kind of faith you have. He uses trials. God uses trials to reveal our faith. God uses trials to reveal our faith. He says, I, I, even though now you've got all of this inheritance, everything is going, you're a stranger in a strange land, but what God's going to do in this, in this experimental lab called the earth, what he's going to do is he is going to test your faith to see if it's genuine or if, see if it's fake. A faith that can't be tested is a faith that can't be trusted. You can't test your faith If you believe that God is who He says He is and He can't test that, then you can't trust it. You look at Peter. In his early years, he was obnoxious, he was impulsive, he was cocky, he was incredibly inconsistent. One minute he's saying, Jesus, you are the Christ, you are the Son of God. And the next moment, Jesus is having to Slap him in the mouth and say, get behind me, Satan. You have no mind. You have not the mind of God. Just in, He's all over the place. And then what begins to happen? In later years, his faith becomes tested. And we find that he is a faithful, devoted, patient man, bold as a lion. As a matter of fact, Peter was allowed his faith to be tested to the ultimate point where when he died his, he, and he gave his last breath, tradition tells us that Peter was crucified. He was crucified, but he said, I don't, I'm not worthy to be crucified in the same manner that my Lord was crucified. So they crucified him upside down. And they say it wasn't just Peter, but Peter was one of the disciples who was also married. They say tradition that his wife was also cru- crucified next to him in the exact same way. First, something happened. His faith was proven, genuine, to give his life. You're here this morning and you're wrecked with pain. You're wrecked with trials. You're you're wrecked with anxiety and worry and fear. Can I just promise you something that there is a purpose in that pain? that there is worth in that trial that you are going through. Why? Because God never wastes a hurt. You see, trials draw you close to God. The good news is not that God saves us from our trials. The good news is that God saves us from our sins. Hallelujah! There's a misinterpretation that a lot of people carry around. It says, well, you know, God won't give me more than I can handle. That is a misinterpretation of Scripture. The scripture reads this, is that God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. It's a misinterpretation to think. I often think that God gives us way more than what we can handle. Because when we have too much, we have to rely on Him. Forget this. Oh, well, God's not going to test me to the point that I can't bear it. No, God's going to overwhelm you till you just say, Jesus, please. And we call upon His name. We call upon Him. There's a family that I know, dear to my heart, dear. I've known them for close to 40 years. Godly people. They have buried two of their three sons. Now, I don't even want to think about that. It's overwhelming for me. 
But when you talk to them, no rebuke, no complaints come out of their mouth. They just say, we're just going to keep trusting the Lord because we know our boys are with Him. Genuine faith. They don't bail. They didn't bail when things got bad. They didn't scream at God and say, why'd you let this happen? They just said, Jesus, we trust you. Our faith is in you. And if you're going through a trial right now, that's what it takes. Lord, my trust, my hope's in you. Would you bow your heads as we close this morning? If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, I'm going through a trial today. There's a trial that I'm dealing with in my life. I've heard these testimonies, heard Jill's testimony, heard, heard Bridget's testimony, heard Aaron's testimony. They're so encouraging to me. But I need the strength of God in my trial. I need the Lord to touch me today, give me strength. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor, would you pray for me in the middle of this trial? Would you just raise your hand? Just, take, just look at me. Just look at me. Raise your hand. Raise your hand so I can see you. Yeah, I see you. I see your hands. I see your hands. You're, you're facing a trial. You're facing difficulty. It's overwhelming to you right now. It's hard to deal with. Can I just remind you that even though you're facing it now, it won't last. There's an old song that, used to, that, that we used to sing, Trouble Don't Last Always. It'll pass. Because you have... You have a, a perspective that, that most people don't. And here's your perspective. You're just a stranger here. Things may get tough, but it's not the worst. You see, Jesus is waiting for you one day. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. I want us all to stand this morning. I want to pray for you as we close. If you raised your hand, I want you to just have faith and rejoice in your trial. Let your faith be strong because He's faithful. He's promised you things. You're chosen. You're chosen. Remember that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, today for your word. I thank you, Lord, for this time that we've had together. I pray that, Lord Jesus, that you would just, Lord, inspire those, Lord, who are facing an incredible trial this morning. But Lord, that you would just undergird them. Lord, let them find strength, Lord, today and tomorrow, Lord, that they didn't know that they had. Remind them, Lord, that they have been chosen. Lord, they're not going through something, Lord, that you haven't already seen. Their trial didn't catch you off guard. Lord, you are faithful, Lord, through the worst of days. And Lord, you are you are faithful through the best of days. You do not change. And so, Lord, I pray that you would bring encouragement to them. Right now, I, I pray that, Lord, as they said earlier, 
my faith is being tested, Lord, that they would realize that, Lord, you're just testing them. You're testing these strangers, Lord, in this world they don't belong in. You're just testing their genuineness of their faith. Help them to pass the test. Help them, Lord God, to come on the other side and say, I'm glad that's over, but thanks be to God who gives us grace and strength and and, and meets our needs when we don't know how we're going to meet our own. Lord Jesus, you are faithful. Let that genuine faith, Lord God, be proved. And so that one day, Lord, as they, Lord, walk out of this life into the next, Lord, that they will be welcomed to their home, Lord Jesus, that says, welcome you of this genuine faith in Christ Jesus. Encourage them, Lord, encourage them, encourage them, and help them, Lord, today. We believe you and we trust you, and all of your word is true. Confirm it in our hearts today. Thanks for listening to this message. If you are blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.